Come with me to John chapter 17 uh, this morning, and we're going to be looking at the the entire chapter uh, this morning. So let's pray, and then uh, we'll get into our study this morning. Father, we thank you for, um, Lord, your presence in in our midst, Lord, and we're so uh, grateful for that. And we pray, Lord, that um, as we look at your word this morning, uh, that you would uh, speak to our hearts and that you'd encourage us uh, to pursue Christ in a greater way, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So come with me, John chapter 17, and we're looking at verse 1. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, and the words that Jesus uh, is referring to are the upper room discourse. He was with his boys. Uh, he started out with 12, as we'll see. Uh, Judas made his own decision to sell himself out. And so Jesus is with the 11, and we've been tracking with them for the last couple of months. We started out in John chapter 13, right? And uh, Jesus showed him the full extent of his love for them and demonstrated to them what that looked like by washing the disciples' feet. He understands that the disciples are anxious, and he says in John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Come to 15, and he's the promise of coming to the Holy Spirit. In 16, he's really concerned about the time is short, and so he tells them again that they're not going to be alone. And we come to 17, and just to kind of kind of catch you up on the on the journey that they're on, they were in the upper room, and they left the upper room, and they're walking down to the Kidron Valley. In John 15, they see the temple. You see that great vine on the temple illumined by the moon. And Jesus says to them in 15, what? I am the true vine. And we come to 17, and uh, Jesus is concerned uh, about them. So he prays this amazing prayer. It's a prayer that can be divided into three parts. Jesus prays for himself and his relationship with the Father, and that's in verses 1 through 5. And then Jesus prays for his 11, the 11 that are, that are still with him, but are about to be literally baptized with fire in the sense that they're going to watch the one that they love be crucified and die. And Jesus speaks into their hearts. And so that's the second movement, if we use that phrase of Jesus's prayer. And then the third is about, is about you and I, how Jesus prays for those that will follow him. One of the most interesting things about Jesus' prayer for his disciples and uh, so applicable to us is that Jesus prays not that his father would remove them from the world, but that he would guard them and keep them in the midst of all that they're going to face. And I don't know about you, I, I would prefer a different prayer by Jesus, you know, 
When I find myself in a hard place, my prayer gets real simple. It kind of goes like this. Help! And the help is attached to get me out of here. But Jesus doesn't pray that at all. He prays a couple different things for them that we'll look at, make application to ourselves because it's important as we navigate this world that we have hidden in our heart the things that Jesus prayed for even his 11 disciples. Take a look at verses 1 through 5 with me. It's the prayer concerning uh, Jesus and and his father. Uh, He prays this. It says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. And John's helpful to us is that he shows that Jesus has this posture of prayer that he's... He's, his hands are extended and his eyes are looking to his father because his father is in sovereign control and Jesus reiterates that he's walking in his father's plan and he's looking to the father for the resolve and the strength. We'll get to Gethsemane where he says, can this cup pass from me? No, let your will be done, Lord. And so we see this relationship that Jesus has with his Father that we have access to because of the blood of Jesus Christ Christ and cleansing us and justifying us before the Father. And so Jesus, his internal soul finds expression in a posture of prayer. And the Bible has all kinds of postures of prayer that help us to express what God's put in the inside to help us to express that on the outside. What are some of your postures of prayer that that you might use either here at church or or at home? What are some of the ones you use that we see in the Bible? Oh, on your knees. And what is that, you know, says in Philippians, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. When you're on your knees, what are you saying to the Lord? What's in the, on the inside that you're saying externally? That I'm yielding, that I'm trusting him. Uh, how about this one? It's in the first chapter of the book of Revelation. John has an encounter with the Lord. And what happens to John? He's flat out, right? And that posture is complete surrender and submission to the glorious God. How about when Peter and John in the book of Acts, I think it's Acts chapter three, they met this guy outside the gate, beautiful, and the guy asked them, can I have a couple bucks, just like the guys do down by Kmart or down by Market Basket? And what does Peter and John say to them? Silver and gold, I have none. But in the name, yeah. And what did the guy do? He was dancing and walking and, manifesting on the outside the joy that was in his heart. Now, I've often, you know, people wonder, well, Conway, do you do, you do that when you pray? And I said, I dance all the time in church and worship. I'm always, but I'm Irish, so it's from the neck up. You know, that's, that's about all the movement I have, you know. Like you go to a wedding, you ever go to a wedding, it's like totally, like, very difficult for me, being a white Irish guy. It's like everybody's kind of grooving and grooving. I'm going, 
Oh, yeah. You having fun? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So there's all these expressions of prayer, and this one in particular was one of Jesus' favorite. As he looks to the Father, look how he prays. He says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. And what Jesus is implying here, and actually really stating, is that over and over again, John has told us that Jesus knew that he was on a particular timeline for a particular purpose. And that's helpful for us to know. It's helpful for the disciples to know that God is sovereign. He has a plan for your life. Step by step by step, he's bringing that about. Jesus says to his Father in prayer, the hours come to, glo- to, to bring you glory. And the glory that Jesus is talking about is the fulfillment of his mission. And that mission follows in the text. Take a look at it with me. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all you have given him. And this is eternal life. So Jesus says, I'm giving, I've given eternal life to this disciple, to my disciples, to the 11. And you ask yourself, well, what is eternal life? What is it, Jesus? And so Jesus doesn't leave us hanging. The text tells us what that looks like, and that's what follows. It says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had before the world existed. And so this eternal life has to do about relationship. Has to do with the relationship that Christ has come, John 1.12, he came to reveal to us the Father and that revelation of who the Father is, that the Father loves us, he sent the Son, and as we enter relationship with the Son, we enter relationship with the Father, and what we're going to find out at the end of 17 is that we have an eternal destiny and that is to live in relationship with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit for all eternity because there's an eternal redemption. And so if you're here this morning, you're listening online, and you don't know where you're going to, you know, one of my favorite questions when you ask people, you know, if you were to die right now, do do you know where you would go? And the answer that I get most frequently, well, I hope so. I hope if I'm good enough, I hope if I earn enough merit badges, I just might make it in. You know, I, as I, John writes these. John writes this. These things are written in the name of Jesus that you might know that you have what? That you have eternal life. And so when we come into relationship with Jesus, we are cleansed and brought into right standing before the Father. And that is Jesus' purpose. To bring glory to the Father by imparting 
eternal life to those who turn to them, turn to Jesus. And the Father glorifies the Son for accomplish, accomplishing his purposes. The second part of the prayer, I've already mentioned a little bit in verse 6, goes through verse 6 through 19. Jesus says this, he prays this, I have manifested your name, and you, you know biblically when the word choice is used in the name of, it means what? According to the character, according to the attributes of that person. And so Jesus is saying, I've told everybody about the Father. And these 11 believed. And so we go on. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Why is Jesus glorified in them? Because he's imparted, they believed, and Jesus has imparted eternal life to them. Hold your finger there. Come with John chapter 10, and we'll make application to us today about what that means. So John chapter 10. It's in the same book, just a few pages late before. Look at John chapter 10 on verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. This is talking to the religious leaders. You do not believe the words that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Verse 28. I impart to them, I give them eternal life, and say this with me, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. See, the great truth here is that when we come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are forever secure in that relationship. That no demon, no, no evil spirit, nothing, nothing high, nothing low, Nothing in all creation can ever remove you from the love of God that we found in Jesus Christ. And so when we come to faith in Christ, we're secure in him. We can walk in him. We can trust him with all of our heart and we can trust him with all of our life. And that truth should allow us to flourish and to have confidence that God is in control of our life and that God is working in our life no matter what situations come our way. Back to the text. First application. We are secure in Jesus Christ. Verse 11. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, 
Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them. Another synonym for this word is, I guarded them. Another synonym is, I protected them. And so while Jesus was with them, he guarded them, he protected them, he kept them safe in your name, in the Father's name, which you have given me, I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, referring to Judas, that the scriptures might be filled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Verse 16. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for, the sake, for that sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. So the first major prayer that Jesus prayed for us is that we would know that we are secure, guarded, and protected because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you think the disciples are going to need that when Jesus is being taken to the cross? Do you think that we need that security when we face some of the difficult of this life or when we face that time where it's our time to leave this mortal frame and go home to be with the Lord. See, those times are when that security of being guarded, being protected, being safe in Christ brings security to the heart of the believer. There's two other things that we mention in the text. And it's in the context of, and I, you know, I mean, I would have liked a little different prayer, but Jesus prays that we might not be removed from the difficulties of this world. Did you catch that? But that in the midst of those difficulties, we would have what? Joy. Now, I'll ask a question. I, I, when I'm asking the question, I'm going to say yes to it myself. So, have you noticed how challenging that is in your life? Have you ever had a hard time and someone comes up to you and says, God bless you, brother. God bless you, sister. Don't you know that the joy of the Lord is your strength? And you're there going, Huh? He may be your strength, your joy. And there's such a challenge there of reading that, receiving that in our hearts and walking in that. And for a lot of years, I've struggled with the reality of the truth of God's word and making this operational in my life. And this thing about joy is, I don't know, 
It's, it's a gift. We've seen that in John chapter 15. As we obey God, as we walk in His way, He gives us His joy. He wants our joy to be complete in Him. And I don't know if this will help you or not, but one of the biggest things I've had to wrestle with along life's path to walk in joy is the busyness in my mind. Like my mind is like a little squirrel. It's always going. And if I let that baby go where it wants to go, it ain't good. I drink too much coffee, I become grumpy. If I become grumpy, it ain't good. I stay up too late at night because I'm doing what? Thinking about it, processing it. And the Bible tells me that there's a remedy for that. And this is where I think it might be helpful to you. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says this. To take every thought captive. I mean, that's like, lock it up, put it in the dungeon, lock the lock, and throw the key away. That's what it means. To take every thought captive, bring it into obedience in Christ. Well, what is the, what is the next step? If I, if I grab a hold of that thought, well, you could go to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. It has to do, well, it has to do with taking the focus of your thoughts on the things that are destroying your joy and destroying your peace and bringing them captive into a place where you, where you, where you say in your heart of hearts, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is wholesome, whatever is of good report, these things I am going to focus my heart and my life on. Come with me to Philippians, just for a moment, and kind of see if this doesn't speak to you about the, the process that it takes. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. That's usually what they use, you know, to quote to you. And it only makes you feel what? Worse, Yeah. Verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. That is the core. It's like praying, oh God, help me with my thought life. Oh God, intervene in my life. Oh Lord, rescue me from myself. And then it, it... Paul drills down even further. And the peace, of, when you do that, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. And your, See that same language? Guard, protect, keep you safe. Your mind's in Christ Jesus. And here it is. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things and then put it into, operationalize it, put it into practice in your life. And so joy is a gift that God wants to give, just like salvation. 
Joy is a gift. It flows out of our relationship with the Lord. But it's still, same as with salvation, you have to do what? You have to receive it. You have to step into it. You have to express faith. And when we're in the midst of the world, God wants you and wants me to have joy. How many want to sign up for that? Yeah, typical New Englanders. One third says, oh yeah, I'll take it. The other third says, I don't know. And the other third goes, I ain't taking no more joy. I don't want no joy. What do, what do I need joy for? What do you, Pastor, what do you want from me? You're going to charge me for that joy? Of course I am. No. <laughs> the second thing that we can see of Jesus' prayer is that Jesus prays that we would be sanctified in the truth. Your word is truth. And so the aspect of thought life is linked in with the sanctification that comes through reading and studying, Romans 12:1, the word of God. And even this week, and, and you've heard me say this a hundred times. If you have a daily devotional with the Lord, and I use Charles Stanley's daily devotional because I, I like him. You know, if I, if, I, if I had a grandfather, I'd want it to be him. Never yells, always soft, you know. Writes great books. But I can't tell you, including this week, how... I do these simple little daily devotionals and God speaks through them. It is the absolutely most profound thing that I have ever experienced is how God uses a simple elementary truth. And this one was on anxiety this week. And I was like, oh my gosh, the Holy Spirit is reading my mail. And then I say, yes, Lord, I, 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 I give it to you. Come bring me your peace. Come bring me my joy. And Jesus keeps us in the world so that we would know true joy and so that we would be sanctified. So in the midst of the world, we would be changed to become more like Christ and we would experience joy that's not subject to our circumstances. If you want to know what Christian maturity looks like, that is what maturity looks like. A mature believer is, is not a uh, chronological age. I've been saved 30 years. No. A mature believer is one who has grown and abides in Christ, draws his or her life from Christ, loves God's word and obeys God's word and has come to the place where they recognize the life I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. Galatians 2.20. That is the target for maturity. The last part of the prayer 
is Jesus prays for those that are to come. He, Jesus knows what's going to happen. The, 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 the church is going to come. <laughs> and Jesus knows the church is going to be what? It's going to be a mess. It's going to be diverse. It's all tongues, people groups. And so what does Jesus pray? Oh, that they would be one, Father. Even as Jesus and the Father are one. Look, take a look at the text with me. We're in verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. That's the goal for us as a church, is that we would come together as a diverse group of people and that we would keep Christ at the center of our fellowship and that we would, at, as Christ is the center of our fellowship, we would treat each other just like Jesus treated us as a diverse group of people. And I would say this, that we are becoming every month more and more diverse in ethnic groups and different tongues. Manchester, it's even more pronounced with the Congolese. And the purpose of that is so that our world who values justice and equality, that's their statement, would look at the church and say, wow, that's how it's done. Jesus goes on and he gives us our eternal destiny. And we'll close up with this. Father, I desire that they also, may, also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, your authority, your character, your nature, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. And so we have that great promise as Jesus closes out that prayer for you and I today, Jesus is working. He went back to the Father because it benefited us. For he sent us his spirit. And his spirit brings us to Christ. And Christ's love and nature flows in us and out of us so that we could operate in kindness and in unity one to another for the purpose of bringing glory to Christ and unity, and being a witness for him. Say amen. amen. All right, we're going to close with the Lord's table and this morning, and just encourage you to prepare your hearts as we remember the Lord uh, this morning. Remember Jesus, who makes all of this possible.